Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 13. Choking and Beating Patients. Miss Tilly Mayard suffered greatly from the cold. One morning she sat on the bench next to me and was livid with the cold. Her limbs shook and her teeth chattered. I spoke to the three attendants who sat with coats on at the table in the center of the floor. "'It is cruel to lock people up and then freeze them,' I said. They replied she had on as many as any of the rest, and she would get no more. Just then Miss Mayard took a fit, and every patient looked frightened. Miss Neville caught her in her arms and held her, although the nurses roughly said, "'Let her fall on the floor. It will teach her a lesson.' Miss Neville told them what she thought of their actions, and then I got orders to make my appearance in the office. Just as I reached there, Superintendent Dent came to the door, and I told him how we were suffering from the cold, and of Miss Mayard's condition. Doubtless I spoke incoherently, for I told of the state of the food, the treatment of the nurses, and their refusal to give more clothing, the condition of Miss Mayard and the nurses telling us, because the asylum was a public institution, we could not expect even kindness." Assuring him that I needed no medical aid, I told him to go to Miss Mayard. He did so. From Miss Neville and other patients, I learned what transpired. Miss Mayard was still in the fit, and he caught her roughly between the eyebrows or thereabouts, and pinched until her face was crimson from the rush of blood to the head, and her senses returned. All day afterward she suffered from terrible headaches, and from that on she grew worse. Insane? Yes, insane and as I watched the insanity slowly creep over the mind that had appeared to be all right, I secretly cursed the doctors, the nurses, and all public institutions. Someone may say that she was insane at some time previous to her consignment to the asylum. Then, if she were, was this the proper place to send a woman just convalescing, to be given cold baths, deprived of sufficient clothing and fed with horrible food, on this morning I had a long conversation with Dr. Ingram, the assistant superintendent of the asylum. I found that he was kind to the helpless in his charge. I began my old complaint of the cold, and he called Miss Grady to the office and ordered more clothing given the patients. Miss Grady said if I made a practice of telling, it would be a serious thing for me, she warned, in time. Many visitors looking for missing girls came to see me. Miss Grady yelled in the door from the hall one day, "'Nellie Brown, you're wanted.' I went to the sitting-room at the end of the hall, and there sat a gentleman who had known me intimately for years. I saw by the sudden blanching of his face and his inability to speak that the sight of me was wholly unexpected, and had shocked him terribly. In an instant I determined, if he betrayed me as Nellie Bly, to say I had never seen him before. 
However, I had one card to play, and I risked it. With Miss Grady within touching distance, I whispered hurriedly to him, in language more expressive than elegant, "'Don't give me away!' I knew by the expression of his eye that he understood, so I said to Miss Grady, "'I do not know this man.' "'Do you know her?' asked Miss Grady. "'No. This is not the young lady I came in search of,' he replied, in a strained voice. "'If you do not know her, you cannot stay here.' she said, and she took him to the door. All at once a fear struck me that he would think I had been sent there through some mistake, and would tell my friends and make an effort to have me released. So I waited until Miss Grady had the door unlocked. I knew that she would have to lock it before she could leave, and the time required to do so would give me an opportunity to speak, so I called, "'One moment, senor.' He returned to me, and I asked aloud, "'Do you speak Spanish, senor?' And then whispered, "'It's all right.' I'm after an item. Keep still. No, he said, with a peculiar emphasis, which I knew meant that he would keep my secret. People in the world can never imagine the length of days to those in asylums. They seem never-ending, and we welcomed any event that might give us something to think about, as well as talk of. There is nothing to read, and the only bit of talk that never wears out is conjuring up delicate food that they will get as soon as they get out. Anxiously the hour was watched for when the boat arrived, to see if there were any new unfortunates to be added to our ranks. When they came and were ushered into the sitting-room, the patients would express sympathy to one another for them, and were anxious to show them little marks of attention. Hall six was the receiving hall, so that was how we saw all newcomers. Soon after my advent, a girl called Eurina Littlepage was brought in. She was, as she had been born, silly, and her tender spot was— as with many sensible women her age. She claimed eighteen, and would grow very angry if told to the contrary. The nurses were not long in finding this out, and then they teased her. "'Eurina,' said Miss Grady, "'the doctors say that you are thirty-three instead of eighteen. And the other nurses laughed. They kept up this until the simple creature began to yell and cry, saying she wanted to go home, and that everybody treated her badly.' After they had gotten all the amusement out of her they wanted, and she was crying, they began to scold and tell her to keep quiet. She grew more hysterical every moment, until they pounced upon her and slapped her face and knocked her head in a lively fashion. This made the poor creature cry the more, and so they choked her. Yes, actually choked her. Then they dragged her out to the closet, and I heard her terrified cries hush into smothered ones. After several hours' absence, she returned to the sitting-room, and I plainly saw the marks of their fingers on her throat for the entire day. This punishment seemed to awaken their desire to administer more. They returned to the sitting-room and caught hold of an old gray-haired woman, whom I had heard addressed both as Mrs. Grady and Mrs. O'Keefe. She was insane, and she talked almost continually to herself and to those near her. She never spoke very loud, and at the time I speak of was sitting harmlessly chattering to herself. They grabbed her, and my heart ached as she cried, "'For God's sakes, ladies, please don't let them beat me!' "'Shut up, you hussy!' said Miss Grady, as she caught the woman by her gray hair, and dragged her shrieking and pleading from the room. She was also taken to the closet, and her cries grew lower and lower, and then ceased." The nurses returned to the room, and Miss Grady remarked that she had settled the old fool for a while. 
I told some of the physicians of the occurrence, but they did not pay any attention to it. One of the characters in Hall 6 was Matilda, a little old German woman, who, I believe, went insane over the loss of money. She was small and had a pretty pink complexion. She was not much trouble, except at times. She would take spells when she would talk into the seam heaters or get up on a chair and talk out of the windows. In these conversations she railed at the lawyers who had taken her property. The nurses seemed to find a great deal of amusement in teasing the harmless old soul. One day I sat beside Miss Grady and Miss Scroop and heard them tell her perfectly vile things to call Miss McCartan. After telling her to say these things, they would send her to the other nurse. But Matilda proved that she, even in her state, had more sense than they. "'I cannot tell you it is private,' was all she would say. I saw Miss Grady, on a pretense of whispering to her, spit in her ear. Matilda quietly wiped her ear and said nothing. End of chapter 13 Chapter 14 Some Unfortunate Stories by this time I had made the acquaintance of the greater number of the forty-five women in Hall 6. Let me introduce a few. Louise, the pretty German girl who I have spoken of formerly as being sick with fever, had the delusion that the spirits of her dead parents were with her. "'I have gotten many beatings from Miss Grady and her assistants,' she said, "'and I am unable to eat the horrible food they give us. I ought not to be compelled to freeze for want of proper clothing.' Oh, I pray nightly that I may be taken to my papa and mamma. One night, when I was confined at Bellevue, Dr. Field came. I was in bed and weary of the examination. At last I said, I am tired of this, I will talk no more. Won't you? he said angrily. I'll see if I can't make you. With this, he laid his crutch on the side of the bed, and getting up on it, he pinched me very severely in the ribs. I jumped up straight in bed and said, "'What do you mean by this?' "'I want to teach you to obey when I speak to you,' he replied. "'If I could only die and go to Papa!' "'When I left, she was confined to bed with a fever, "'and maybe by this time she has her wish. "'There was a Frenchwoman confined in Hall 6, "'or was during my stay, "'whom I firmly believed to be perfectly sane. "'I watched her and talked with her every day, "'excepting the last three, "'and I was unable to find any delusion or mania in her. Her name is Josephine Dupre, if that is spelled correctly, and her husband and all her friends are in France. Josephine feels her position keenly. Her lips tremble, and she breaks down crying when she talks of her helpless condition. "'How did you get here?' I asked. One morning, as I was trying to get breakfast, I grew deathly sick, and two officers were called in by the woman of the house, and I was taken to the station-house.' I was unable to understand their proceedings, and they paid little attention to my story. Doings in this country were new to me, and before I realized it, I was lodged as an insane woman in this asylum. When I first came, I cried that I was here without hope of release, and for crying, Miss Grady and her assistants choked me until they hurt my throat, for it has been sore ever since. A pretty young Hebrew woman spoke so little English I could not get her story, except as told by the nurses. They said her name is Sarah Fishbaum, and that her husband put her in the asylum because she had a fondness for other men than himself. Granting that Sarah was insane, and about men, let me tell you how the nurses tried to cure her. They would call her up and say, "'Sarah, wouldn't you like to have a nice young man?' "'Oh, yes, a young man is all right.' 
Sarah would reply in her few English words. "'Well, Sarah, wouldn't you like us to speak a good word to some of the doctors for you? Wouldn't you like to have one of the doctors?' And then they would ask her which doctor she preferred, and advise her to make advances to him when he visited the hall, and so on. I had been watching and talking with a fair-complexioned woman for several days, and I was at a loss to see why she had been sent there. She was so sane. "'Why did you come here?' I asked her one day, after we had indulged in a long conversation. "'I was sick,' she replied. "'Are you sick mentally?' I urged. "'Oh, no. What gave you such an idea? I had been overworking myself, and I broke down.' Having some family trouble and being penniless and nowhere to go, I applied to the commissioners to be sent to the poorhouse until I would be able to work. But they do not send poor people here unless they are insane, I said. Don't you know there are only insane women, or those supposed to be, sent here? I knew after I got here that the majority of these women were insane. "'But then I believed them when they told me this was the place they sent all the poor "'who applied for aid as I had done. "'How have you been treated?' I asked. "'Well, so far I have escaped a beating, "'although I have been sickened at the sight of many and the recital of more. "'When I was brought here they gave me a bath, "'and the very disease for which I needed doctoring and from which I was suffering "'made it necessary that I should not bathe. "'But they put me in.' and my sufferings were increased greatly for weeks thereafter. A Mrs. McCartney, whose husband is a tailor, seems perfectly rational and has not one fancy. Mary Hughes and Mrs. Louise Shantz showed no obvious traces of insanity. One day two newcomers were added to our list. The one was an idiot, Carrie Glass, and the other was a nice-looking German girl. Quite young she seemed, and when she came in all the patients spoke of her nice appearance and apparent sanity. Her name was Margaret. She told me she had been a cook, and was extremely neat. One day, after she had scrubbed the kitchen floor, the chambermaids came down and deliberately soiled it. Her temper was aroused, and she began to quarrel with them. An officer was called, and she was taken to an asylum. "'How can they say I am insane, merely because I allowed my temper to run away with me?' she complained. "'Other people are not shut up for crazy when they get angry.' I suppose the only thing to do is keep quiet, and so avoid the beatings which I see others get. No one can say one word about me. I do everything I am told, and all the work they give me. I am obedient in every respect, and I do everything to prove to them that I am sane. One day an insane woman was brought in. She was noisy, and Miss Grady gave her a beating and blacked her eye. When the doctors noticed it, and asked if it was done before she came there, the nurses said it was. While I was in Hall 6, I never heard the nurses address the patients, except to scold them, or yell at them, unless it was to tease them. They spent much of their time gossiping about the physicians, and about the other nurses, in a manner that was not elevating. Miss Grady nearly always interspersed her conversation with profane language, and generally began her sentences by calling on the name of the Lord. The names she called the patients were of the lowest and most profane type. One evening she quarreled with another nurse while we were at supper, about the bread, and when the nurse had gone out she called her bad names and made ugly remarks about her. In the evenings a woman, whom I supposed to be head cook for the doctors, used to come up and bring raisins, grapes, apples, and crackers to the nurses. 
Imagine the feelings of the hungry patients as they sat and watched the nurses eat what was to them a dream of luxury. One afternoon, Dr. Dent was talking to a patient, Mrs. Turney, about some trouble she had had with a nurse or matron. A short time after, we were taken down to supper, and this woman who had beaten Mrs. Turney, and of whom Dr. Dent spoke, was sitting at the door of our dining room. Suddenly, Mrs. Turney picked up her bowl of tea, and rushing out of the door, flung it at the woman who had beat her. There was some loud screaming, and Mrs. Turney was returned to her place. The next day, she was transferred to the rope gang, which is supposed to be composed of the most dangerous and most suicidal women on the island. At first, I could not sleep, and did not want to so long as I could hear anything new. The night nurses may have complained of the fact. At any rate, one night they came in and tried to make me take a dose of some mixture out of a glass to make me sleep, they said. I told them I would do nothing of the sort, and they left me, I hoped, for the night. My hopes were vain, for in a few minutes they returned with a doctor, the same that received us on our arrival. He insisted that I take it, but I was determined not to lose my wits, even for a few hours. When he saw that I was not to be coaxed, he grew rather rough, and said he had wasted too much time with me already, that if I did not take it, he would put it into my arm with a needle. It occurred to me that if he put it into my arm, I could not get rid of it, but if I swallowed it, there was one hope, so I said I would take it. I smelt it, and it smelt like laudanum, and it was a horrible dose. No sooner had they left the room and locked me in than I tried to see how far down my throat my finger would go, and the chloral was allowed to try its effect elsewhere. I want to say that the night nurse, Burns, in Hall Six seemed very kind and patient to the poor afflicted people. The other nurses made several attempts to talk to me about lovers, and asked me if I would not like to have one. They did not find me very communicative on the, to them, popular subject. Once a week the patients are given a bath, and that is the only time they see soap. A patient handed me a piece of soap one day, about the size of a thimble. I considered it a great compliment in her wanting to be kind, but I thought she would appreciate the cheap soap more than I, so I thanked her but refused to take it. On bathing day the tub is filled with water, and the patients are washed, one after the other, without a change of water. This is done until the water is really thick, and then it is allowed to run out, and the tub is refilled without being washed. The same towels are used on all the women, those with eruptions as well as those without. The healthy patients fight for a change of water, but they are compelled to submit to the dictates of the lazy, tyrannical nurses. The dresses are seldom changed oftener than once a month. If a patient has a visitor, I have seen the nurses hurry her out and change her dress before the visitor comes in. This keeps up the appearance of careful and good management. The patients who are not able to take care of themselves get into beastly conditions, and the nurses never looked after them, but order some of the patients to do so. For five days we were compelled to sit in the room all day. I never put in such a long time. Every patient was stiff and sore and tired. We would get in little groups on benches and torture our stomachs by conjuring up thoughts of what we would eat first when we got out. If I had not known how hungry they were and the pitiful side of it, the conversation would have been very amusing. As it was, it only made me sad. When the subject of eating, which seemed to be the favorite one, was worn out, they used to give their opinions of the institution and its management. The condemnation of the nurses and the eatables was unanimous. 
As the days passed, Miss Tilly Mayard's condition grew worse. She was continually cold and unable to eat of the food provided. Day after day she sang in order to try to maintain her memory. But at last the nurse made her stop it. I talked with her daily, and I grieved to find her grow worse so rapidly. At last she got a delusion. She thought that I was trying to pass myself off for her, and that all the people who called to see Nellie Brown were friends in search of her, but that I, by some means, was trying to deceive them into the belief that I was the girl. I tried to reason with her, but found it impossible, so I kept away from her as much as possible, lest my presence should make her worse and feed the fancy. One of the patients, Mrs. Cotter, a pretty, delicate woman, one day thought she saw her husband coming up the walk. She left the line in which she was marching and ran to meet him. For this act, she was sent to the retreat. She afterwards said, The remembrance of that is enough to make me mad. For crying, the nurses beat me with a broom handle and jumped on me, injuring me internally, so that I shall never get over it. Then they tied my hands and feet, and throwing a sheet over my head, twisted it tightly round my throat, so I could not scream, and thus put me in a bathtub filled with cold water. They held me under until I gave up every hope and became senseless. At other times they took hold of my ears and beat my head on the floor and against the wall. Then they pulled out my hair by the roots so that it will never grow in again. Mrs. Cotter here showed me proofs of her story, the dent in the back of her head and the bare spots where their hair had been taken out by the handful. I give her story as plainly as possible. My treatment was not as bad as I have seen others get in there. but it has ruined my health, and even if I do get out of here, I will be a wreck. When my husband heard of the treatment given me, he threatened to expose the place if I was not removed, so I was brought here. I am well mentally now. All that old fear has left me, and the doctor has promised to allow my husband to take me home. I made the acquaintance of Bridget McGinnis, who seems to be sane at the present time. She said she was sent to retreat four and put on the rope gang. The beating I got there was something dreadful. I was pulled around by the hair, held under the water until I strangled, and I was choked and kicked. The nurses would always keep a quiet patient stationed at the window to tell them when any of the doctors were approaching. It was hopeless to complain to the doctors, for they always said it was the imagination of our diseased brains, and besides, we would get another beating for telling. They would hold patients under the water and threaten to leave them to die there if they did not promise not to tell the doctors. We would all promise because we knew the doctors would not help us, and we would do anything to escape the punishment. After breaking a window, I was transferred to the lodge, the worst place on the island. It is dreadfully dirty in there, and the stench is awful. In the summer, the flies swarm the place. The food is worse than we get in other words, wards, and we are given only tin plates. Instead of the bars being on the outside, as in this ward, they are on the inside. There are many quiet patients there who have been there for years, but the nurses keep them to do the work. Among other beating I got there, the nurses jumped on me once and broke two of my ribs. While I was there, a pretty young girl was brought in. She had been sick. And she fought against being put in that dirty place. One night the nurses took her, and after beating her, they held her naked in a cold bath. Then they threw her on the bed. When morning came, the girl was dead. 
The doctors said she died of convulsions, and that was all that was done about it. They inject so much morphine and chloral that the patients are made crazy. I have seen patients wild for water from the effect of the drugs, and the nurses would refuse it to them. I have heard women beg for a whole night for one drop, and it was not given them. I myself cried for water until my mouth was so parched and dry that I could not speak. I saw the same thing myself in Hall 7. The patients would beg for a drink before retiring, but the nurses, Miss Hart and the others, refused to unlock the bathroom that they might quench their thirst. End of chapter 14. Immerse in audio adventures at SaulGoodBooks.com. For $10 a month, dive into a sea of ad free audiobooks. Let your ears lead you to new worlds and stories. Discover more at SaulGoodBooks.com and begin your auditory journey. Elevate your productivity and relaxation with SaulGoodBooks.com. For $10 a month, Access an exclusive selection of ad-free audiobooks, perfect for listening during a break or commute. Enhance your listening experience at solgoodbooks.com.